Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Okay, and we are live. Uh, we are live here on LinkedIn. We are live here on uh, Facebook as well. And we're coming to you again with another live broadcast of the Nursing Home Podcast. And we're here to examine a new facet of the coronavirus outbreak, which is wreaking havoc on the entire world, on the United States and the rest of the world. Um, And specifically, we know the tragic results it's having on the vulnerable population that resides in the nursing home setting. Today, um, I have the opportunity to, to bring on an old colleague, someone that I've worked together with, um, an expert in her field, um, Marcia Amarsing. Marcia is the president at Renewal Sober Living. And Marcia has really devoted her life to dealing with the challenge of substance use or abuse. Um, I'll, I'll, and I'll let her talk for herself um, in a moment. But what we want to focus on in this conversation is. A, the ever-growing challenge of of seniors that are also have a challenge with substance abuse and how, if if at all, that is affecting the level of, of the challenge right now in the nursing home. So before we even get to Pharmacia, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you so much. Yes, it's, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast and it's a pleasure... Uh, having a conversation with you again about this topic. I mean, I know the training that you did with us, uh, we spoke about for quite some time. And, you know, you really empowered our staff to identify and deal with some of the challenges that are new in the nursing home world. But let's talk specifically about coronavirus. And tell me, I know we mentioned before we went on on the air and last time we spoke about how substance abuse might actually be exacerbating the challenge that facilities are facing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so you know what I call this, Shimal? I call it the two epidemics. Um, because we had substance abuse that was somewhat an epidemic before um, with the opioid crisis, and now we have the COVID-19. And I do think that the COVID-19 um, is affecting the substance use population as well so much more significantly than others just because of their vulnerabilities the homelessness population that we have, and just the continued use of substances that has damaged the internal organs of their bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now specifically, is, is the, uh, it's true. So we have two separate pandemics or, uh, because you have the challenge of this substance abuse disorder, misuse, abuse. I'm not sure what the right term is, and I'm sure you have an opinion about that. But that's something which is new. We're not used to seeing that in seniors, and and that's getting more and more prevalent. 
And that's a challenge uh, every day. And that's, you know, something that nursing home residents and nursing home staff operators have to look at. And it's a whole new set of challenges. Is that more challenging now with coronavirus um, in the era? And is that is that bringing it into the nursing homes more than it would have if this challenge would not exist? So we have to look at the population that we have right now in the nursing home. And we know that about um, in 2013, which is seven years ago, a study was done um, by the Home Data Compendium, and they concluded that 13% of the nursing home population was less than 65 years old. We also do know that 30% of the elderly population, which will form, fall into the baby boomer category right now, have a history of substance use. So our, our, our nursing home population has traditionally changed. So yes, because again, because of the population and the vulnerabilities, the COVID-19 is definitely wreaking more havoc on the nursing homes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, there, there are people, what about healthy people who are uh, relatively healthy people who are, who are maybe homeless and they, um, you know, they're substance abusers. They end up in the hospital, picking pick up the coronavirus that's there, and then, unfortunately, so this, there's really a bigger issue here at hand. Let's open this up a little bit more. There's really a bigger issue here at hand, and this is something which, you know, on some levels of government, they're trying to address this. Is that we have a lot of people in nursing homes that don't belong in nursing homes, like you just said, 13 yeah. percent to 65 and under. So what are they doing in nursing homes, right? I know as an administrator, and you know from your experience in nursing homes, I'm sure some of the listeners know this. A lot of times you walk through a nursing home, and why is this person doing here? And a lot of times they present. Sometimes you know the ones that don't belong there. A lot of the challenges, and and normal that's a normal thing, rightfully so, because. They're alert and oriented and, you know, the you, they're not stimulated enough and they have to find other things to be stimulated with. So that itself is a so, challenge. What I do think, and it's really sad to say this, but the nursing homes, traditionally the skilled nursing facilities have been used recently by the hospitals as a dumping ground. And so because they do not want to discharge these residents in, you know, unsafe discharge, they call it, they find something that's skilled, which is maybe skilled for a day or two, um, send them to the nursing home, and then it falls on the nursing home to be able to find someplace safe to discharge them as well, because they too cannot have an unsafe discharge. This is why I love having the nursing home podcast for moments like this, because over here we could say things the way that they are, and this is why you know the, the listener base is growing so rapidly, because what you just said is so true. The hospitals have a responsibility, a moral responsibility and a legal responsibility to ensure that they're arranging and organizing and facilitating a safe discharge for every resident, for every patient that leaves the hospital. Now, if you have somebody who doesn't have a home and they're somewhat overall shaky um, health status, so just the fact that they're 52 years old and have a history of several decades of substance abuse is not going to stop the hospital from sending that resident to the nursing home. And mind you, the nursing homes still are filled with what we call, you know, the the little old ladies of yesterday. There's still plenty of 80, 90-year-olds that are, for the most part, you know, long-term residents. They're pretty healthy. And this is when they need, you know, they need that level of care where this is where they belong. And it's the correct setting for them. But then you add someone who completely doesn't belong there. 
And this, you know, let's leave, you know, COVID-19 out for a minute, but that itself makes tremendous challenges when you have, um, how do we say this? You know, when things sometimes can go missing, we don't, I don't want to stereotype or paint with broad brushes, but I, I was taught and uh, <laughs> just after experiencing this time and time again, that, that there's a series of other challenges that come along that affect others they come along with substance abuse. So it's not like, oh, I like drinking. So I'm going to drink in my room and I might be dancing on my bed and doing my thing. But I'm not affecting anybody else. Uh, this really affects other people. But over here, you can have someone. Let, let's just let's just think of it this way. In New York right now, um, Marcia, you live here in Massachusetts, right? Right, um, right in the Worcester area. But I, if you saw in the media, if you look in New York City in the subways, They've turned into, I won't call them homeless shelters, but they, you know, a lot of people who don't have a home have moved in there, and it's not pretty to ride the subway now. So, although I'm sitting here at home with my family, and we're literally not leaving the house, maybe going to the backyard, and only leaving the house for essential grocery shopping, really no exceptions. So... For most people, that's what they need to do to stay safe during this time. But imagine if someone lives in the streets. They're, they're not putting on a mask. They're not putting on gloves. They're not concerned about this. You know, being infected by coronavirus is probably not on the top 10 list of their concerns. And it's a sad state of being, but it's today that becomes a dangerous state of being because that means that they're very likely carriers or they've been exposed to this, you know, super contagious, uh, lethal disease, so that when they do come into the hospital, which they always are, when you know, when a little bit too much substance is abused, and then if they get sent to nursing homes, it's almost like you're injecting coronavirus directly into nursing homes. Am I exaggerating this problem, or is this really what's happening? That is what's happening, and <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about shelters because if they're homeless. We, especially in Worcester, we have one um, one shelter that's operated by SMOC. It's 25, be it's 25 beds only. So mm -hmm. we have approximately 38% of the persons that are in shelter with a history of substance use. And we know that with that congregate setting, it's just a, a, a breeding ground for COVID. So we're having those residents who, you know, COVID is running through the shelters, they're hospitalized, but because of their extensive um, opioid or other um, drug use. They have had maybe endocarditis in the past, which makes them having some now cardiologic, you know, cardi cardiac issues or other internal organs like damage to their liver by drinking or their kidneys. And so not for you know, hospital and then transferred to the nursing home for continued treatment or rehabilitation. So there we go again. Um, having that population back in the nursing home. Well, so are you actually seeing this in that particular shelter? That are they sending out their uh, residents to nursing homes, not to hospitals, during uh, COVID nineteen? They are. Yes, they are. Well, well. So, and the question is: it? So, I, I guess on on under normal conditions. Um, I'm sure they're sending residents of the shelter out when appropriate. But my question is, is it more, are they being sent out more because they're developing symptoms? Or is it just business as usual? And because of their, uh, 
lifestyle, I guess they're more likely to be carriers. Right. And so they congregate setting, even in, with homelessness, they, they group together. They're not doing social distancing and maintaining, you know, six feet apart. They have no mask. They have no gloves. They have no protective equipment. They're just there in the street. So the shelter, because the shelter, you have to go in like at six. You can't be in the shelter all day. So you are out in the street. You're, you know, intermingling. And at six o'clock, you're going to the shelter. It's a congregate setting. You have, you know, exposed to COVID. It's right there. Then, you know, you go to the hospital and the hospital will send you to the nursing home. And the cycle continues. Wow, so that that's a very powerful point that you're making because they have to leave; they don't have a choice. First of all, in, in the actual setting of the homeless shelter, like you said, there's no social distancing, the masks and gloves and whatever. And you, you know, frankly, in in my house with my children, we're also not doing social distancing, or we're all in this together. And you know, if we leave the house, then obviously we are, but within the house, that's not that's not possible. Um, but it may, so if we stay here, as long as we stay here, that's fine, which is what we're doing. But imagine if we do that and then we go out and we're literally out in the streets all day. And, the, and you know what? They're not even going into buildings. I mean, I, I don't know, you know exactly where they're going all day because it's not so much going on. Um, and then they come back in at the end of the day and they no. kind of re-expose each other. So that's something that can, that can be a challenge. And if they end up in the hospital, they go to nursing homes. I mean, this is, this is a tremendous challenge. Let's just shift gears for a moment and just focus on the, the more broader subject of substance abuse in, in, in the senior population. Uh, what is the biggest challenge that that presents to the nursing homes in caring for these individuals? And what are some things that the, the nursing home staff can do to identify and, and uh, properly react to these problems? So first of all, the nursing homes have to have policies um, implemented for substance use. They have to have trained staff to deal with this population. Um, the CMS regulations are very old and did not cater for this population. So it's very hard working with the present CMS regulations and treating substance use. Because for example, you can't do searches, body searches, um, you can't stop their visitors for um, from coming to the building unless really you make a point that they're unsafe. Um, you can't prevent residents from leaving the building and coming back. And so say, for example, we have residents who suffer from endocarditis, and the only reason they're there is because they need IV antibiotics for six to eight weeks. So they're very healthy apart from having the um, IV, you know, um, in their arm or whatever. And they they walk around, they leave the facility, they're going to town, they come back. Um, and you really can't stop them from coming. As long as they're there to get their regular um, IV medication, you can't say you can't leave building. So how to get staff to this? It's, it's, very, it's very, very difficult um, because DPH, again, is right down your back. So there you can't infringe on residents' rights. Um, so it's very difficult <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's population a, in the nursing. Yeah, I mean, I remember such a case actually. I, w I was an administrator in Worcester. I don't know if we ever spoke about this. Um, and we did have a resident that was here, exactly your case. Uh, we, we, we actually had a methadone clinic across the street. I don't know if you know which facility I'm talking about. Um, 
but we had such a case where where we had what we thought was an elopement it ended up being one of these residents that was who had it you know was there for IVN to be out just going out into the street and, and came back uh, you know at night to get his meds but who knows what went into that IV when we weren't there and if something happens in the facility we own it so it really doesn't make sense how could you be responsible where you have you know resident rights says that he could leave he or he or she could leave but that was and um at the same time from a clinical perspective if that per, if the resident goes out then it's our responsibility so yeah so i guess the question is so, so how do first of all i am assuming that eventually within the next 50 60 or 70 years uh, cms will update their policies and you know be more current I'm assuming that, that that's something that will be in the works soon, but <laughs> um, but for right now, what can a facility do to actually manage this stuff? Because, like you said, you can't check their stuff, and you uh, you have a certain visitor that you're concerned about. You want to see what's in the bag. You can't look. So now what? And on the flip side too, um, medicated assisted treatment is now an official disability. So. Technically, the nursing homes are really not supposed to deny them on that basis. Yeah, but you know what they say? They say there's no no appropriate available bed for this resident. You just keep it vague. The same the same way you're not supposed to deny somebody if there's no payer, right? And if let's say there's yeah. Medicaid pending, which means that a lot of times you know the social worker in the hospital filled out you know haphazardly. Um, you know, the application, but we have no idea if they own a house or if they have a million dollars in the bank. You know, they skip. I've seen this myself, they skip the financial part of the application. And then, oh, we have, you know, we have someone who's here. Now we know we're not going to get paid. We're going to be in the red thousands of dollars. So we don't have an appropriate bed because it doesn't work, whatever. So, but you're right. Technically, they can't deny it. Well, is there anything, let's say for a regular nursing home operator, they're concerned that they may have substance abuse actually going on within the facility, maybe illegal trading happening in the parking lot or through the windows. Um, they, they might be concerned, you know, about the nurses. The nurses are very vulnerable and they have a med cart. They don't want the nurses to be physically in danger. Is there a good way for operators to, uh, let's say for nurses, uh, um, social workers, anyone in the nursing home space to help identify um, who might be a, someone like this and what are some legal steps that nursing homes can do um, to address it so one um the staff can be trained to identify um, areas on the body that they could look out for for like needle marks you could look for needle marks you could look for burn marks you could look for how presentation of the body um look in their eyes whether their pupil is dilated or um constricted. Um, you could look at, you know, um, just how they present. Um, there are particular symptoms of intoxication. And so once they're intoxicated, you can actually um, drug test them. And if they're high, you can send them to the hospital for clearance um, so that you can take those steps. The other thing you can do is to look carefully at visitors. So visitors present um, clear profiles. If, if it's a relative, they usually visit for much longer. If it's a dealer, they'll be in, out quickly. Um, also, you look for gang affiliations. 
you look for whether or not this resident now has more money or more electronics or whether they're, you know, exchanging drugs for items, if they're stealing on the unit from other residents. You look at relationships on the res on the unit, whether, you know, this elderly person is now suddenly befriending a young person and what they have in common. So it's, it's a lot of just observation and, and relationship building that will allow you to recognize this. You look for cars coming in the parking lot, whether they're going out to meet these persons and if it's a quick move, if they're out in and out, um, and then you, you kind of study that. <laughs> it's almost well, like investigative work. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I think a big piece of this is awareness because knowing that this stuff exists, it exists in nursing homes. I remember the first time I had such a thing in a facility where someone actually overdosed and had to be, Literally, you know, was we, I saw him, I saw the resident gray as a sheet. Um, and I, I'm completely so just from, from my background, I have no almost no exposure to any of this. And I am so naive, mm -hmm. I was so naive about everything about how it works, who does it, how you do it, the effects it has, the, the difference between one and the other. I'm still not an expert, but I got a little bit of an education by being in this environment and you know some of the staff you know told me a thing or two about how the stuff works um but the last thing in my mind that i would you know i associate seniors with my grandparents right and they certainly were you know did not have any connection to this so one thing is understanding that it exists and it's it's becoming more and more prevalent because these seniors were not seniors yesterday and the habits don't disappear with age. So A, a understand that it exists. That's A. B, it's, it's very possible it exists in your nursing home. C, it not just affects that resident. That resident, like you said, it might be one, you know, if you see an 85-year-old resident befriending, you know, someone else who just came in. Um, or, or like we had a case... Uh, it was clearly a gunshot wound to the chest, um, but they called it, I forgot, they had a different word that they called it, but I know the nurses looked at it and they're like, uh, I, forgot what, I forgot what they called it, uh, a knife wound or something. I don't know. And then you see funny relationships happening, then then you should be concerned. Now, there are, th you're saying there are things you could do. So you can take a, dr a drug test. Can you force them to take a drug test? No, again, you can't force them. That's infringing on their rights. Um, but you can, if they are presenting as intoxicated, you can send them to the hospital for clearance. You can do that. Okay, so the problem is, I mean, administrators are reluctant to do that because nine times out of ten, the hospital will, will you know, have one look at them and say, there's nothing clinically wrong, they'll send them right back. They will. They'll send them yeah. right back. So and and that affects the relationship between the right, but I'm just saying from a marketing standpoint, like an administrator or admissions person would be concerned about that because then the hospital doesn't like them. Why do you send them here? You know, it's a bounce back to the hospital. We don't want to see them here if it's not really medically necessary. Now, what the facility gains is that it shows you mean business. You're actually, you know, the resident sees that you're going to do something. Um, you know, if we think that there's a problem, so you really have very limited options. Yes, it is. That's what it is. Yeah. And then too, um, a bigger problem that I've noticed recently is that since we have the prescription monitoring program, where the doctors are reducing their um, prescription for opioid medications, the nursing homes have kind of become a drug 
um, seeking place too. So the outside dealers will try to come in to get the medications prescribed because a lot of the persons in the nursing home are prescribed opiates and recently gabapentin, which is kind of the new drug. And so the dealers will come in, they befriend the residents, they try to get their gabapentin, their opiates, um, they bring stuff for them and they go. And so it's now almost like a feeding ground for persons who are coming in too to, to get that kind of relationship with the dealer. So, so explain that to me a little bit more. So what, what's the change that occurred that's making this happen? Did you freeze on me? Uh, so, the, so the prescription monitoring program was imp implemented in 2016 because of the physicians um, just prescribing a lot of opiates to people who really didn't need it. And so now they're being right through a lot of their license to practice because of that in how they prescribe and not only that we have checks and balances so the doctors prescribe there's a database that they go in they have to enter the medication the client's name and the reason why they prescribe these opiates um, or other scheduled medications and the the pharmacies the dispensaries have to do the same so they're holding people accountable now for over-prescribing these medications. So it's cutting down on this availability for street drugs, for, for street, because people used to get this these scripts and they would just sell dealers on the street, but now it's not as common. So they, they go to the nursing homes where they know for sure that the residents are prescribed those medications. They come in and they ask these questions and they encourage residents to cheat the medications and give it to them. Got it. Well, thank you for explaining that. Um, interesting. So you're saying that there used to not be a database because I know that uh, there, there were times where they say that you have one uh, resident that will go to the facility physician and get his medication and then go to CVS and fill it from his community uh, physician and then try to get it again somewhere else. Um, you see, now, right. now, now we can't do I'm that. I'm not saying it's totally happening. It's harder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now it's more, it's more difficult to do that. And therefore, there's a bigger motive for it's It's simply harder to get you know what they need. So that's another reason for them to come in. And one of the things also that I've a concern that I've heard from my staff is that a nursing home is such a soft target. It's like, especially you come into a nursing home at, 1 30 in the morning who's there from the how many staff are there a couple of nurses a couple of cnas maybe you have seven ten fifteen staff total and they're very spread out they're in the rooms uh they're supposed to always be locking the med cart if they really want to and forcefully gain entry to the med cart um it's, it's not difficult so you know nurses are concerned i mean and through proper and Go ahead. They have a right to be because many of these guys coming in are really young, strong, you know, guys who have a history of incarceration, a history of gang involvement. Um, you see them clearly come in with gang tattoos and you never know who's waiting in a car outside for them. So, of course, a lot of nursing homes have gone to employing security to be at their front, the front of their um, the building right now. Mm -hmm. Now, for some of the listeners right now and some of the people watching us uh, right now live, 
are thinking that what you're describing might be for only specific ge you know geographical areas is this really as prevalent all over the country as it is here or are you referring to a specific area where it's more prevalent than maybe other places so i've worked in homes in three states um Rhode Island and Massachusetts and seen it all three uh-huh so we shouldn't we shouldn't fool ourselves and think that you know it's only certain places it is prevalent and you have to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now i think part of the challenge is that i think as an administrator i think i'm not unique there, there probably are lots of other administrators who you know who are managing the facility but maybe are not so aware of some of these challenges that exist in society uh, maybe some of the nurses understand it but I think it's important that it should go for, you know, from the very top of the organization to the very bottom. Everybody should be on the, on the lookout for this. Now, it's not limited to that, right? There, you could have staff that are involved in this. You could have uh, drug diversions, right? You could have nurses who are involved with residents. Yes, because staff can have substance use disorder problems too. And so we they, they too can have drug diversion. And that's actually very, very common right now in the nursing homes as well. Yeah, and I mean, you put that together, you know, if you have a nurse and a resident that's working together on, you know, uh, doing whatever they can <laughs> to a drug diversion to get stuff to get, to get stuff out of the from the facility. And other the, the, the kids, I'm, yeah, the, the kids I'm talking about is that the nurse is a do-gooder. The nurse is trying to help and cure and save, which is the case with most people who go into this industry. What happens if this nurse also has this problem? And now this wonderful nurse um, actually is very interested in some side income, maybe uh, some side benefits, and can work together with a resident. And you know, it's the nurse's, you know, family or whoever it is that's involved in the parking lot in the car. Um, I the incident I referred to earlier, where we had an overdose in the facility, um, the social worker remembered like after the story happened. It was I think it was like four in the afternoon. She remembered at like three something. She saw a car in the parking lot and there were a bunch of people around it and she thought it looked suspicious, but she was busy like a social worker is and nursing home with a million things. Then afterwards, she felt so bad. She was like, maybe I should have known. And, you know, my job was to tell her, uh, you know, whatever happened, happened. Let's move forward. Um, and the funny thing is the next morning, um, you know, I was very concerned about what happened here. You know, if someone would pass from substance abuse, uh, substance overdose to my facility or in any facility, uh, you know, that's definitely uh, media material and uh, DPH material, and it's it's just not something that you want to happen. It's a bad thing that's happened anywhere, but it certainly happens in the facility. Next morning, I got a phone call. Shmuel, do you have my wallet? I'm like, who is this? It was that resident. <laughs> Wanted to know, can I come back? So we, we had to have a conversation about that. And it was Marcia. I really appreciate you coming on the Nursing Home Podcast. Uh, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners or our viewers with before we let you go, and then you'll tell us how they can find you and learn more about you and your business. So substance abuse is a real problem. I know COVID is at the forefront of everything that we're experiencing now, and I'm not going to minimize that. It's terrible. But also substance abuse um, is also very, very terrible, and I would really want all of us to pull together in the way we're doing with COVID to be able to help persons suffering from 
um, drug addiction. I know this is a terrible time for substance abusers too because of the social distancing and isolation is one of the biggest triggers for relapse. Um, so I know for sure we're having an increase in um, overdoses, an increase in, in relapse, but also an increase in suicide. Um, so I just kind of want everyone to be aware of this and if they have any relatives or friends or just anyone that they know who suffer from this disease, just to reach out for help um, in this crisis. Well, well, little some sobering thoughts here. You know, this is it's challenging for them at any time, but especially now without all the social interaction, you know, suicide, yeah. overdose. I mean, these these are very serious issues. If if our listeners want to learn more about you, Marcio, where should they go? Give us your website or wherever they can find you. So um, I have a sober house. It's Ren Renewal Sober Living Inc. And we have a website for that. Um, I have a private practice. It's um, Amarsing Integrative Counseling Services. And I recently um, opened a mental health clinic. It's Renewal Integrative Psychotherapies. So my um, email address is aicsllc at outlook.com. And my phone is 508-981-3301. And the renewal, it's, it's a MASH-approved sober house. So once you go on the MASH website or you just type in Renewal Sober Living in, everything will pop up. Amazing, amazing. All right, we'll put all that info, all the content information you just shared um, in the show notes. And before we let you go, I just want to speak directly to the listeners and the viewers, whether you're on LinkedIn, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're listening to this later when this episode goes live. You can see this episode and every other episode that we've done live or not live at the nursing home podcast.com again the, simply the nursing home podcast.com and there you can see all the other facets um all the other facets that we've discussed and if there are any particular issues that you want us to dig further into reach out to me on linkedin you could small septimus you put in my name and you'll be able to find easily send me a message there and we will do our best to cover those subjects so again thank you marcia for coming on and uh really shedding some light on this challenging subject Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.